I think I'm like every day Sun's arrival shining got me feeling away One foot in the game But I'm a crash dummy Other foot dipped in the grave Am I living or surviving the days? You trying to be all this nigga I'm just trying to be paid You trying to be the artist nigga I can't even relate I be got my people starving I'm just thinking of ways To put that left in the grave I, They said I was the brightest I just couldn't behave Alright, we are back and Quentin this week we are turns styles clash. How are you doing this evening? This is in the evening as we're recording. This is That's true. That's this is true. the this is the morning this is the morning the morning for you and afternoon for me. This is <laughs> I think it's so used early, to it. I think the earliest we've done the podcast. Uh I'm trying to think if we had we did one with Joseph if maybe we recorded early, but you're probably yeah. right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's early if we recorded the podcast, but now uh, I'm good. Sorry for the delays on the episode. I've had a lot of shit going on, so yeah, that's about that's about it. But yeah, but then other than uh, one company just being a dumpster fire pr wise all the time and feels like we didn't miss much but yeah no. sorry, about, sorry about the delay um anyways uh the you asked about the uh the name <laughs> before we started what was it what's it about so the new drama is that tony khan announced the paid attendance for all out all in um and Everyone said, oh, that's new. You know, most of these wrestling companies report like everybody in the building because that'll be higher, blah, blah, blah. Or they'll, you know, announce some made up number with a bunch of fake comps and stuff that aren't really even there. And he reported just paid attendance. And then thanks to uh, (laughs) intrepid journalist Brandon Thurston, who came back and reported the turnstile count, which, again, Brandon, I I don't know that how much Brandon is like a clout demon. He seems like a nice guy. Um, every time I've interacted with him, um, he's one of the ones that I was bummed out when I saw that he stopped following me. But, you know, it wasn't a block thing or anything weird like that. He just clearly he grew out of it uh, on that topic. Actually, you know, who is an interesting refollow got him back after all these years? Mookie Ghana related oh, to Brandon really? Thurston that's why it came up but he followed me back after a couple years of un- he had unfollowed me unceremoniously i wonder what that was about um he's probably trying to get that job at AEW didn't want to didn't want to risk it yeah. didn't want to be risked yeah, yeah. We, we following you would have put everything at risk yeah people say okay you're mufos with this guy i don't know um <laughs> but yeah but the brandon was he's you know another one bites the dust he's still he's still uh, not on, not on the roster um but like I said, I don't know how much of a clout demon he is, but putting that number out, you kind of knew that that's fuel for the rivalry fire playing the numbers game because the turnstile count was lower than the paid attendance that that uh, Tony reported. Now, you as a normal human being who knows a thing or two about, you know, real sports and actually watches some real sports, right? You are aware and, you know, and music concerts that there can be and is a pretty much universally accepted fact that their paid attendance versus the turnstile numbers are going to be off for a myriad of reasons, but it's just not a one-to-one count, right? Yeah, no, it's not. It could, it could account for like 
a bunch of like different things happening like throughout the day or like the duration of an event. Right. I mean, one of the easiest ones to point to is like skyboxes don't they don't go through the turnstiles. Your VIPs, even though they have tickets, they're not going to go through the turnstile. People with season passes, season ticket holders do not get counted by the turnstile because they just go in with their season pass. It's just checked off. It's not the same as a regular ticket, right? There's ton, again, tons of things, even just errors with the, especially a lot of them are automated computer systems. Now people are just, their scan bar doesn't work right. Blah, 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 whatever. Right. Turnstile is just an arbitrary number that, but people in wrestling are not familiar with it. So it's just a new number to add to the thing. And that's why I brought up, you know, branded and that. Cause yeah, it just, now the AEW haters go, Oh, well, why is the turnstile number so much lower? And it's like, well, because WWE just doesn't tell you the turnstile number, and also they just make up fake numbers. You know what I mean? Like, you know, whatever. But again, this is the uh, who cares? Who cares about how many people were in the building? In fact, to me, I've said it multiple times. I tend to like shows more when there's less fans in the building. That's just my taste. Like, the more fans in the building, the shows tend to be worse. Um, but yeah, I I, I, t- I tend to I tend to agree with that, and also just like I don't, I don't know. Even if it wasn't the case. I, I look at stuff like that and I'm like, dude, a company's first time running an event in a different, in, 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 the, in this specific country and they went and drew that many people. But like, it's like, I like, like, what are, like, what are we doing at this point? Like, it, it just, yeah. it feels like shit that like doesn't matter. This is their first event in this place and they went and drew like well over like 30,000 people, which would have been a success if they did 30,000. Or twenty, that would have like that would have still been successful. They went and drew what they drew. It's like there's no there's no real discussion or argument to be had there. It's like really weird and strange. But like you said, like I think a lot of people like don't come from paying attention to things that out, that exist outside of wrestling because only in wrestling really do we kind of like play this numbers game like super duper severely to this extent to com- like compare and contrast like other companies and shit like that when like if we're following music or sporting events like the t- like the people reporting ticket sales don't go about it the exact same way i don't right. feel like so like yeah i think there's just there's another case of like wrestling fans getting a hold of like information that they didn't know was like a thing before and like turnstiles like yeah, like that's existed for a while now, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, I mean, sports, obviously, it's different because like you don't hang your hat on being the best draw as a sports team, right? You hang your hat on winning games, um, winning competitions. So you don't really have that in wrestling. You can't say that. And uh, concerts, it's interesting because I was thinking about that as you said it. I, I was thinking about that already as you were mentioning it. And then you mentioned concerts and it's like, yeah, I guess even musicians like they tout their their ticket sales, and a lot of people talk about that. You know, musicians make a, a, a the lion's share of their money now from from concerts, be it the tickets or or merchandise. I guess sold at the at the venues and things like that. But um, and probably even licensing fees similar to what WWE does now, where where cities and stuff pay pay big enough stars. Like I bet a Taylor Swift is getting some kind of economic bonus from the city of los angeles and stuff oh, yeah, like that oh, right? oh, oh, oh yeah for sure for sure but uh but a lot of musicians i mean they're gonna again like at least some semblance of like when you're measuring their their quality you're also looking at the quality of their music right and you're saying like 
you're not really comparing artists by going like, well, obviously this artist that I like is better because they sell more tickets to their shows. People don't right. really talk but, that but, way. Thing. And if someone did that, people, they would get la- they would get laughed out of the argument. Like if some if someone right. didn't do that, because people will do that, they'll say this person has the highest grossing tour of X amount of time, or this person has like the highest like selling album or some shit or some shit like that. And people will make arguments like that in music, make arguments like that in music, but like they will get laughed out of the argument. Like in music is definitely like an understood concept that just because you sell X amount of whatever, whether it's tickets or albums, that that doesn't mean that you're like the best at whatever craft. Like that is sort of like an understood thing, even though the people that like oblige, like, you know, or, 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 or like divulge into that, into that type of stuff. Like with wrestling, it feels like we're still kind of in a place like that, which it may right. never go away, but in, but in, in music, there's still like, a, oh, just because someone sells X amount, X amount doesn't mean that they're like the best at this thing. Wrestling is just still in a weird spot where we just, we just act like kids about all this shit still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still, I mean, it's still part of it. I mean, and it's, it's part of the nature of it. It's, I don't know if you've seen people are posting memes and talking about this OVW uh biography or documentary show that's on netflix they're basically trying to do drive to survive but about ovw i don't know if you've seen any of it um, i saw i saw that they were doing some ovw series thing and i was confused by that yeah like because ovw hasn't like mattered in a long time not that it's right. not an interesting story but i was just i was really confused as to why ovw was getting any sort of coverage in 2023. Yeah. So they, they got this documentary and that involves Al Snow involved and everyone's saying he's coming off really poorly, but Al Snow's pretty famous for his quote saying, you know, like the best match is the one that draws the most money. Um, you know, and that, that speaks to again, like, Oh, ticket sales and all this stuff are as important. Um, I saw a little clip that's going around recently. I don't know if it's, I think it's from a shoot video with the uh, Christopher Daniels, talking about getting some kind of heat backstage with Bruce Pritchard. And the first thing, you know, that in the clip where he's talking about Bruce Pritchard coming up to him says, is like, what's the, what's the point of pro wrestling or whatever. And, and Daniel says his first thought was to say, to get paid, you know? So yeah, it is like, because wrestling has so much of that ingrained in the culture, even to this day and, and fans still think like that it makes them a worthwhile and smarter fan. If they're critiquing wrestling based on, business metrics and and that stuff is more important you know the the people who do the i couldn't vote for someone in the hall of fame if they haven't drawn you know however much those people who basically have t- have worked themselves into a shoot where there can never be another hall of fame wrestler you know what i mean like you've gotten to the point now where how can any wrestler break the records of the the wrestlers from back then who were actually big time draws and making tons of money no one can compare to bruno or hogan in in 2022 cuz it, wrestling just isn't like that anymore you know like but it is in, ingrained in there and it's very silly and uh and i've always found that i think that people who critique the actual you know art of what's going on the, the physicality of the matches tend to be the more intelligent fans but uh that's not how some people look at it i guess um did kind of mention like yeah it's the stand culture and it's the people who've got their sides and that's what they're arguing and fighting about um an interesting note to that was like uh wwe no longer being helmed i mean i guess still technically helmed but no longer being owned no longer being a mcmahon family business everyone's making a big deal about referencing that 
Um, and I wonder if that has any effect on people's, you know, die hard, you know, WWE fandom, whatever you even want to call it. It's not even just fandom. It's, you know, it's the obsession with, with like having to denigrate they AEW were, because they, they were, they were raised by WWE. Like, yeah. So it's like, it's like, it's not, yeah, it's not just a, like a fandom or even a standum. It's like part of like life for them. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder, do you think that now that it's a Endeavor TKO Holdings company, it's no longer a, the same W, do you think that affects people's opinion at all in that way? Oh, no, I'm not sure. Like, I think that, like, I think there's a large contingent of people that were, like, Vince McMahon fans. Like, I right. genuinely believe that there's, like, a ton of people that watch and consume WWE that are fans of Vince McMahon. Like, we don't even really need to, like, look too much further into it than when in the midst of all the scandal and shit that was happening last year, like Vince McMahon putting himself on TV came out and got like people were bowing to him and saying, thank you, Vince and all this shit. Like, like that's still like a small sample size of the people, like a few thousand people. I understand that, but like that's reflective of a consumer that is a Vince McMahon fan. So I do think there's like a level of like, like disappointment to hear that like it's no longer like a McMahon family brand of entertainment. Uh I'm not sure like how I'm not sure how like, what is gonna mean long term though. If that's gonna be a thing that like affects the company in like any sort of like long term way. Because I think that people like having whatever weird like uh admiration or parasocial relationship with like the owner of the of the owner of a company like can like can lead to like people's fandoms being stronger. So without that figure there, I'm not sure what certain people will latch on to. But I think there's definitely a, definitely a disappointment that Vince McMahon, who they've been a fan of for X amount of years, and admire and respect for whatever their fucking odd reasons are, is no longer there. I think, I think that does affect people. Yeah, I think that that'll... I agree that I do think it might have some kind of effect, and especially because, as you mentioned, the people that are Vince McMahon fans, people who have an affinity for the company based on Vince and, and feeling some, whatever kind of, you know, attachment they have to him, like knowing that he's not, it's not his company anymore. And he's, I guess, still going to be there in charge might affect some people. There is also the the people who have that weird feeling of, you know, Oh, Vince McMahon's the only person who knows how to do wrestling, right? So anybody who's not Vince doing it is going to be doing it wrong and bad for whatever stupid reason. And it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny wrong. though that like, to, to officially be in a place and we could like we saw this coming like a couple of years ago but it's like to officially be in a place where like wow like there isn't a mcmahon air anymore like it's just done like there's like yeah. no one like no one from that family is going to be taking over the company at least for the for the for the foreseeable future like that's just it's just not gonna happen so it, so it's, it's been it's real interesting like Watch it not from just the perspective of it no longer being a Vince McMahon uh, led company in terms of like just like completely dictating the day to day operations and board shit, but even going forward is no longer a McMahon family operation. Which like I think that's a very uh, I think that's interesting and like funny because yeah, <laughs> it's like it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a it's a very funny thing, but like I think that's like almost like the more important thing is like, yeah, this is kind of like not like they not that they won't be involved, but this is kind of like the 
end of like the McMahon era for like maybe ever in terms of like dictating this company. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting and a lot of people are talking about that. I don't know how much I, I truly care about like oh a McMahon is not running a wrestling company for the first time in 70 years. Oh, oh, owning... oh, oh, yeah, oh yeah, like fuck that. No one cares. No one like cares yeah. on that level. It's just like <laughs> a funny thing as we saw like Stephanie and Triple H and like what yes. they were what, what they were doing for like the last like 10 or so years of like of behind the scenes shit and to just it be completely done and neither one of them are like in line for that is like a wild thing like that i'm gonna laugh about for a long time because it's hilarious but like on a deeper on a deeper level i don't care about that shit yeah and i think i think it speaks to the character of vince mcmahon and i think anybody who really was being honest with themselves should have seen this company. I did coming. I did kind of find it funny to hear some people who were really shocked that they expected, Oh, why would Vince not want to keep this in the family and have it continue to be a family company? And it has been for so many years. And it's like, I mean, this is a guy who has created his own history and has basically lied the entire time. He's, he's never openly talked like, you know, Oh, I bought this company from my dad. I got this company from my dad really, you know, bought with it when you have that kind of loan and the fucking backing and the protection that he had, like, come on. Um, But, you know, he always tried to mythologize and act like, oh, we built this from the ground up. He would even say stuff like that. They even like talked about WWE being a small business that they built from the ground up. He, he didn't really think of that as part of his history. So of course he doesn't like, you know, carry any weight to it to be like, oh, I want to keep this in the family. Um, and the interesting thing that always had always stuck in my head, and I probably mentioned it at the time on whatever podcast it was, but, you know, people like to laugh about laugh at Court Bauer and the world of MLW never stops. But I remember, you know, Court Bauer, when he used to do a podcast with John Pollock, it was like primarily they talked a lot about business side of things. He said that he predicted at the time, even and this was 10 years ago, longer, whatever, that the one big last move for Vince is going to be that he wants to sell the company for, you know, a billion dollars. He, he's going to want to, you know, the numbers at the time were different than they are now, but basically that for Vince, the final proof of, of how successful he is because of the way he measures things and the way that he's a businessman, he's, he's not going to ride off into the sunset and leave the company to someone else. He's going to sell the company to another media and entity. He was like, you know, theorizing like Disney Fox, something like that. Right. Um, and, you know, get that one big last payday to prove that he did something. And again, I think it speaks to really getting to the psyche of knowing this is a person who interacted directly with Vince for years, actually gets the psyche of Vince and doesn't go like, oh, if it was me, I'd want to keep it in the family. No, he goes, this is a ruthless, cold businessman who does not see any value in family. And what he sees value in is proving that he was a success as a businessman and he was able to take this company and sell it and cash out at, and make the number as big as possible. That's what matters. You know, at the end of the day, it was having the big number and he's, he did it. He got the big number, you know, and that's what it was all about for him. And I just think, yeah, like people laugh at court and make fun of him because he's the low key whisperer and he sends out these goofy press releases and all this. But when it came down to it, to business, he was spot fucking on about someone that he knew directly. He saw exactly what was going to happen. No, you're right. Very, like very, very much so. And it's just been super. It's, like I said, it's been funny to just watch watch it all play out. To be like, oh yeah, the there's never gonna not run into McMahon family, and it's like, yeah, he doesn't care about his family that much, guys. <laughs> so no. not really the, 
Just don't, don't really care about that. No, that was not going to ever be it, you know. But uh, but yeah. Um, I don't know if there's any other news and things you want to talk about or anything else you want to hit. Um, um, we've been gone for a we've been we've been gone for a bit. So like, um, man, (laughs) did you did you see any of All Out? Did you watch All Out? I don't can't remember which one is which at this point. <laughs> All Out was the good one, which was the second one that was in America. Okay, um, yeah, did, okay, yeah, I didn't see any of that one. Like, you didn't uh, see I, any? I, yeah, no, uh, like, I don't, I, I couldn't even remember which one was which. I would recommend going back because Danielson versus Ricky Starks might be the one of the greatest matches of all time. I know that that sounds crazy to say, but a lot of people are kind of on the same page and agree. Um, I got Pete, my old you know podcast co-host Pete uh, Schermacher. Um, who's doing like a a new podcast reviewing that As- Asuka or Asuka Star Wars show? Um, people should check that out. Oh, Asuka. Oh, 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 Ahsoka. Okay, Ahsoka. Um, uh, got him in the DMs talking to me about it, and he said, "Yeah, like best strap match hands down, basically." Really? So, okay. Yeah, he said it always had Vader Sting, which I think is a pretty good shout above it, but or as the great, but this is it. Like, yeah. So, highly recommend checking it out. Like I said, probably. For my money, I would say the best match in AEW so far. And really? I was kind of in my head thinking, like, what does Danielson have to hang his hat on? You know, he's been in AEW all this time, and you just don't have that great Danielson match. And then I was like, you know what? You, there is a ton of great Danielson matches. There really have been. And I'm just kind of, my brain is still kind of like not kind of, but in the pantheon of like great Danielson matches, I mean, this is in the conversation. I mean, just an absolute stellar performance from him. And Ricky is obviously no slouch, but yeah, definitely definitely go out of your way to check that out um, so you think, i haven't you, talked about it anywhere What's yeah that? but it's like, like i'm thinking of danielson's like best AEW stuff so you think they're like do you think this is best AEW match oh yeah 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 i think this is danielson's best AEW he's, match. he's had some really 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 i know that has, like, I, like, yeah. like 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 the, i think it gets lost because maybe he hasn't like quote-unquote mattered in AEW a lot but like he's had some really amazing stuff which is why i'm like which is why i'm asking yeah, I think a lot of people might, you know, the Okada thing, it also was just his last match before this. I think that I, that kind of was fresh in my head or like so fresh in my head that it hasn't really like carved a groove to where I think of it as like, oh, Danielson's greatest match or whatever, greatest match in AEW. Um, obviously, he's got the Omega match, the page matches. Um, and Garcia, then you've got all of Gar- Garcia, oh, the Mo- Garcia, Garcia, yeah. the Moxley match from the pay-per-view. You've got all the anarchy in the arena stuff, which are all great, but it's kind of hard to think of that as like a great Danielson match, even though they are. Um, so yeah, there's there's tons there, really, when you do think about it. But still, I would say this is it. I mean, this is again. It's I I hate to even hype it up like this to you, but it's <laughs> honestly a match where I think I can. Sure, and it doesn't sure matter. Love it. Yeah. Um, that and Moxley Orange is also great. So I would, you know, I mean, I would say I actually loved the show top to bottom and thought everything was good to great. I didn't think there was a single bad thing on the show. Um, some people are less high than me on that and would just say, check out those two. And um, I wouldn't argue with them I'm, completely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch, uh, I'm gonna watch Takeshi and Orange and, and Takeshi and Omega. Like, I'm gonna do that for yes. sure. So, like, yes, like there's things like I know that I would like, maybe like some of our friends aren't really super big on, but it's like, I know I'm gonna like that. So it's like, it's fine. I haven't gotten around. I, I haven't gotten around to watching that. I had seen uh, really only like Punk and Joe from Wembley in terms of AEW stuff from recently. So that's like, about it that you needed to see from that show. If I'm honest, yeah. So I, I'd only seen Punk, Punk and uh, Punk and Joe from Wembley. So like, 
I just kind of like was behind. And then obviously like the shit in the wake of Wembley was like, like overtook everything. Yeah. So just like, yeah, you know, just let me take it. Just let me take a step back from, uh, <laughs> from AW for a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely those I would say check that out. I, I did want to talk about that strap match, even even if it's not breaking it down just a little bit because I haven't on the record said anything. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at with that. I just I can't think of anything. I mean, really, that compares. It's it's phenomenal match. Truth, truly. There's better than Umaga, Umaga and CM Punk. <laughs> I would probably say yes. I would say yeah. It, it just just it just etches that one out, which is a really good match. But yeah. I, 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 did, I did prefer Umaga versus CM Punk over Sting and Vader, which like I do love Sting and Vader, but always like if yeah, I had to yeah. compare them, like oh, what I think is the best strap match ever, I'll, I usually would like default to like Umaga and Punk. Fair, yeah. I could definitely, I could, I, I get that, you know, for sure. Um, it's a great match. Um. This should yeah, have like, I mean, this just over, huh? Like the CM Punk thing, it just. Oh it, yeah, I was gonna just yeah. not even talk about it. I know, but like <laughs> it's done. Yeah, yeah, they're just fucking done, man. This is yeah. Like, they're not even like anything like really in super in depth to like talk about. It's been weeks at this point, so I'm not gonna we're not gonna like rehash the whole thing. It's just like damn, man. Like they're just <sighs> really over. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna. It's it's. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I will, I will say my one thing. Like, sure. I do. I understand. Like, why why some people didn't like Collision in like the punk led era of it. I thought that was a good wrestling show. Like, even sure. with like it like, kind of like existing in its own universe and being weird and separate from a, from, the, from the majority of like other AEW storylines and like the matches and main events going pretty long and shit like that like I understand why some people might not have liked Collision I thought Collision was a really good wrestling show for, for the most part like I got what I wanted out of it so like it's just been weird to me because I know that you weren't the biggest fan of Collision but it's like seeing so many people be like oh yeah like immediately Punk is gone and Collision is so much better I'm like man like Collision has some really good matches on it like I get it like but there was some really good shit on Collision while like it was like the punk show. So like I just like that's that's it. It's like Collision was good, man. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I didn't hate Collision. I um, in fact, I my I think my biggest takeaway from Collision that I that I tweeted out and you know was that like now that you've got an AEW show that's doing, you know, that's actually doing WWE, but you know, fifteen percent better, um. You don't need dynamite to be WWE, but fifteen percent worse. Like, can dynamite go back to being like dynamite? And you know, the AEW that I actually really liked in the beginning, and like that does sound like bad because I'm saying you know comparing to Collision to WWE, and that's you know a negative as far as I'm concerned usually. But I think that they the 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 differences were in a way that made it more preferable to me. It was you know like it was more like an '80s WWE that was an intentional thing. Um, and I do like there being different kinds of wrestling to watch. And like you said, like it was it was different enough to where it made it feel like it's a worthwhile to have a second show and have it be somewhat separate or whatever, um, rather than just being part of the same brand. They actually executed on that well. Um, and I, I appreciate having something like that. And you're right. It was a good show. And it sucks that like if it just becomes just another version of the same thing that's on every other show, because it was nice having something different that stood out. Um, and I like there being different kinds of wrestling. I mean, I, 
I said this recently, but it's like my favorite, my favorite shows in recent memory were like the blood sport shows in an empty warehouse. Like I like things to be different and stand out and have stuff that's like, you know, separate from, from everything that you see constantly. That's all the same. And collision being different was a positive. And there was a ton of good matches. You got the coming out of it. You got the bang, bang gang, VC gold getting over, which is a plus because I liked all of the people involved in that and was hoping that they'd get over. And then they did. So that, that was a good you know, example of something that came out of it that was positive and you just kind of go like, okay, like, fuck, like Collision made more fresh stars than a lot of other wrestling shows I mean, have I mean, for the I, past I, 10 I, years. I would give Collision credit for like, re, like, for like reigniting Ricky Starks for sure. Yeah. Even if I don't agree with the way that they went about it with the heel face turn and switching back and forth, yes, like they definitely got him over after he was really feeling stale, like stale and, and well, washed up or whatever. I think that they re- a lot of the refocus and kind of writing the ship that felt like maybe there was, it was just not going to be able to happen of sort of stickling with stuff that was happening on collision. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely stuff there. So yeah, not you know, a bad you, show. You, you know, it's just like say whatever about punk and like the aftermath of this, which like, again, every talking point about that is like, has been mentioned. Collision was a good show. That's all man. Like I get, I get it, but collision was good. That's all. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you want to talk about this DDT show? Uh, sure. Let's do it. Oh. Yeah, I think I think that's. I didn't. I didn't get to watch. Any, I didn't get to watch anything else. So okay. like, I think that we're good. We're good here. Um. Okay. Can we can we do this different how we usually do it? Sure. We can do it however you want. This was your. You said to do this show. You go for it. Okay. I want to add, I want I want to start with the main event and I want to ask you about well, how do you feel about Chris Brooks especially after this main event perfect how do you feel yeah. about Chris Brooks in his time as KOD Openweight Champ I I wanted to talk about that I wanted to specifically to talk about that and like how he feels especially coming out of this match um, I don't know do you want to talk about the match first or do you want to just talk about that first. We can, we, we can kind of just kind of like blend both blend both in together okay. before to talk about that since like I know you're a bigger Brooks guy than I am I I think that it's as an experiment of presenting Chris Brooks as the top guy in DDT it's it's proving that it's it's working I think um he's over at a level to where he actually feels like he can be the t- you know the top ace of DDT um, I was kind of shocked post match. He's cutting a promo in fluent Japanese, which I, you know, I don't know how fluent because I don't speak Japanese, but feels you know like conversational enough. And I, I, I know that I knew that, but seeing him do it in front of a big crowd at the end of a show this way was just glaring, especially the setup. You know, the setting up a match with uh, Saki Akai for her retirement that really felt like there was something to it and had some teeth coming out of it, especially the history that he's playing out. Like, he's not just being like, oh, you know, you're retiring, let's have a match. He's like, we had a match, double title, no crowd, and that's not right. That that's our only match, you know. I want, you know, to have a match with the title on the line in front of the crowd, especially because you're, you know, you're retiring, this and that. Like, he fits this role. He's really developed into this role, you know, in the same vein as, like, a, a Kenny Omega, you know, like a the foreigner speaking Japanese, he's over, he has history here, all of that. Even his wrestling in the match here with Irie, the match where he wins the title with Hino, 
And the match here with Irie, he's like stepped it up where that size that he's always had, he's really developed into being coming across like a bigger, heavier hitter. He's a he's a top guy now. He's an ass kicker. He's a fucking badass in some ways now, especially like the finish of this. They clearly were trying to get that over that not just does he like go back and forth with Irie, but it's this is a rivalry that's an international rivalry. They tell the story of the previous matches that they've had all over the world. I mean, basically just in Europe, but then here now in Japan. Um, and they tell the story that like he's he's kidna- coming out with his big guns and he's taking Irie's big guns. But then in the, the last thing he does before the finish is he Irie headbutts him and he fires back with his own, which is out of character for for Chris Brooks to, you know, be throwing headbutts. You don't really see him do that a ton. And then two praying mantis bombs and he puts him down and it just shows that he's got that edge. He's got that toughness. He's got that size. He's not just a goofy kid anymore. And it's so funny because, it, you know, during the break in between the last time that we recorded, I did talk and tourneys with um, Sam and Dan. And we reviewed the first Tetsujin, which had young Chris Brooks looking scrawny. And I was I mentioned it there like he has filled out so much and I didn't even really notice it until seeing looking back to back then. But he's so much bigger across the chest and shoulders, even though he still looks big and lanky. He's just filled out to where he's believable in this setting. And the only issue that I can say with his title match is he won the title in July and this is his first defense in in September. He's gone like almost two months and he's not really doing much with the title. He's having tag matches primarily. He's doing his produce shows, but he's not really getting to do this as much as he should be, I think. And it's just, he could be another good wrestling fighting champion in DDT after UNO. Um, and instead, like, he's barely having any title matches. So that's kind of my takeaway is like, I think that everything is working with this. I just think that they need. He should be having more big singles matches and more title matches. Yeah, that's been the weird thing. Is like usually when a field, when usually with a KOD champ, it feels like they're like given more reign to do, to do like like to do more to do more, even if it's like smaller in between stuff. And granted, like Brooks only won the title two months ago, but still, like you would think that they might just throw a small like a small like a smaller show. Defend like defense in there, and like we just never really got it. And it's not to say that like Brooks hasn't had good stuff since winning the, since winning the title. Like I thought that particularly uh, the Kurokin match with him and with him and Ueno versus Akiyama and Irie was like really good. So like it's not that he hasn't done anything since then, but you're totally right in regards to like him actually getting to do more stuff as a champion in terms of de- in terms of defenses like. It would be nice to see him get to do more of that. For me, um, for for me, I I like I like I like the match a lot, and it was just it was just interest it was just interesting, like you said, to notice like the ways in which Brooks changed or is like adapting to like the title being the champion uh, position that he's in now because it's like I love that headbutt spot. That you that you mentioned for sure, where it's like a super out of character thing for him to do. So I thought I thought that was great. Uh, I love the I love the pace of this. I have I feel like Irie since he's left DDT has become like 
even better. And I thought Irie was great when he was in DDT as a regular, but like he's gotten even better. And I love the way he can like control and dominate a match in segments and segments and portions too. And you're right that like Brooks has gotten better at that side of things as well. And I would never expect to like like a 27 minute Shigehiro Irie and Chris Brooks match this much, but like I was really surprised because it's great. It really, it really is. I'm super surprised to like enjoy a match that's this long between these guys because these aren't guys that typically I'd want to see wrestle a match this long with each other. But like I was I was really I was really into it and super impressed. I like this way more than the Brooks and Hino match, which like I'm not saying that that's like a high bar to clear, but like I do like it more than that. And uh the Saki Akai thing is interesting and I hope it's good. You know, I definitely, I definitely know the level of respect and admiration that Chris Brooks has for her. So I'm hoping that like they can figure out an interesting way to lay that lay that match out. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought this main event was great. And if I'm thinking about it, like I'm not I'm not sure that it's not the best DDT match I've seen this year. Not that it's like not that there's like a ton of competition here because we can be honest, like. We haven't talked about DDT as much in years past as years past on here this year, and this just hasn't been that good of a DDT year. So, even with that being said, I, this is still probably like one of the better DDT matches I've seen this year. Yeah, I I might like the Brooks and and uh, Higuchi, I think match that was the that you know got Brooks to the title shot. Yeah, um, a little bit better, but only slightly. Um, and yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you were saying there. Um, I do think the thing about the Saki Akai match, again, because it feels like Brooks, this Brooks title run thing is working, but that is almost not to say directly directionless, but we just haven't seen much of a direction yet on where they're going, um, that that could really set it off because it is hard for me not to think back to like what really you know, I already was a Chris Brooks fan from, you know, we've talked about it. I talked about it a lot on that podcast, Talking Turnies on the same podcast network here. Shout out to the boys um, about being a fan of Chris as like just a technical wrestler. But what kind of got him noticed and more people talking about him was the tag team and eventual feud with Nixon Newell. And I don't know, you know, you talk about the respect for Saki and of course he can show that. But I don't know if maybe we get a little bit of that, you know, because Brooks did kind of build his name in some ways in that way off of intergender stuff. Um, but he can be very vicious and ruthless in a setting like that. And we've got a retiring legend, you know, legendary in DDT type star, long career, very always at the heart and soul of the company, um, you know, still involved with having the trios titles and not just in DDT, but also in all Japan and Saki Akai. And if Brooks, you know, takes it that to the ruthless viciousness that we can see from him on top of the way that he's turned it up and he's more of a, you know, an ass kicker, that could definitely that could be the thing that really sets up what this title reign is all about. It could also just be a nice, you know, retirement send home match without that. But we'll, you know, we'll have to see what they do, but I, it's hard for me not to predict or kind of see or hope for something like that, you know? Uh, what did you think of uh, Mao and Ueno versus uh, Takashida and Sasaki? And what do you, how do you feel about, the Mao and Takashi and Takashi match coming up. I'm excited for that. Um, especially because of the match, basically, which this was a very weird thing. 
Um, I had to like, kind of go back. Oh, sorry. Before we move on, I, I hate to, I have to hate to jump back. Obviously, I was like checking out translations and things on Dramatic DDT. And and to your point about Irie being better um, since he's kind of left DDT, there was a part in the post match where Brooks, like specifically, and it felt just it seems very odd reading it. You know that Brooks is saying like. Oh, Irie, we'd like we love to have you back, basically. And it's so weird to be thinking of Irie, but he's so much not a DDT guy anymore that uh that yeah, it is like, oh, you could come back to DDT because you're, you know, a solid fighter and this and that. Come back as a guest, basically. And it's like, oh geez, I guess he's he really is not part of DDT anymore. And he hasn't been for a long time. But in my mind, I still kind of think of him as a DDT guy, you know. Um but uh but similarly, we've got, you know, Takeshita here, who's, I guess, not a DDT guy when you really think about it as much as he is. And I, I did the same thing, kind of checked out the the translations and kind of reading into the backstory and the stuff here. And he's kind of, it's interesting to see Takeshita's basic heel turn in DDT is like, I'm a heel in AEW now, so I'm a heel here. Um, and he's teaming with Sasaki, which just feels wrong on its face. Um, and the storyline being that he's trying to corrupt Ueno to to join him um, in being evil. And I kind of predicted that during the WrestleMania weekend that I thought that like Ueno coming into even to like AEW as a bad guy with Takeshita would actually probably work. Um, but in the match itself, weirdly, the times when it was Takeshita and Ueno and Takeshita was trying to be dominant on Ueno and Ueno is usually such a great underdog babyface. It really wasn't speaking to me as much as the stuff with Takeshita and Mao. So as you mentioned, like the match coming up for those two, I am excited for it because they actually were showing really good chemistry here with the current heel Takeshita babyface Mao that was a little bit better than what I was even getting from Takeshita and Ueno in this match. Um, Sasaki is always obviously kind of... I think sometimes he's too smart for his own good. I think he, you know, obviously gets that kind of stuff from Dick Togo, who is can sometimes be the same way and has been doing it for years now, showing the worst sides of that with the House of Torture thing, where like he's really trying to tell a pretty like detailed story in the match, and he will sacrifice the quality of the wrestling for trying to tell the story where he's so much of his focus was about the story and the drama and that, and it's not necessarily about the wrestling. He's trying to play up that he's trying to cr- help Takeshi to corrupt UNO. And that's so much of what he's going on here is that, and he does, you know, he does a really good job of keeping that story at the front of your mind and doing all that. But like I said, sometimes it sacrifices his actual wrestling, which I know not a lot of people love Sasaki as a wrestler, but I actually think he's pretty solid when he actually is being serious in wrestling or focusing on the wrestling, you know, not to say not serious. He's mostly usually serious. He's not like a heavy comedy guy. Um, But yeah, like kind of coming out of it, I am excited for a Mao Takeshita match because um, they showed really good chemistry here with this alignment. But what did you, uh, what did you think? Yeah, this is, there's a thing where I feel like it's more interesting, like as the stories and I think the matches have been at least so far, because even like Takeshi and Yuano from like from Peter Pan was really good, and like I've usually like really enjoyed the Takeshi and Yuano like pairings that we've gotten, but that was still like okay, like feels like we're more still like more towards still building towards something, so. I'm curious to see how like Takeshita performs in these matches going forward as the as we develop the storyline. It's just really funny to me. Uh, cause you you you've been a DDT fan, so you were there as like 
like how long were we begging for like Takeshita to like do something interesting in DDT? And when it seemed like we were finally <laughs> getting that, uh, with um, uh, what, what was it? What was the unit? All out. Yeah, all out. Yeah. It seemed like we were we were finally getting that with all out, and then they just kind of like said like never mind, and like right. now like four years later we're getting that. It's just like that's really funny to me. But no, I I I enjoy I enjoy this match. I think that Sasaki and Takeshita it looks super so weird, man. Like right. knowing how like at the hip connected that these guys are and have been for like the last like seven years in terms of like their stories and history together, it's really wild. But like I thought they still meshed pretty well, and I thought they still meshed pretty well in the in the, pre, in the previous six man tag that they uh having was like them and Kanan in some in some six man tag. So like they've worked together uh, together pretty well. Uh, I think there's a better version of a match like this. I'm not sure if Sasaki's the right partner, but I think there's a there's an even better version of like a Ueno and Mao versus Takeshita and X uh, match out there. But like clearly that wasn't the purpose there, and this is like advancing the story. And I'm very curious to see what they do come up with because while DDT is great roster wise, as we know, like creatively, this just hasn't been a super strong year. And if they can use Takeshita more, then maybe we they can start getting some fire under some new stories and creating some interesting things and maybe elevating guys to like certain points. Like we know how great Ueno is. We know how long they've been trying with Mal. Can this storyline be a thing that gets them both over the hump? And like, now we're finally seeing seeing them as like solidified main eventers. Like, I don't know, but I do think that it's a, it's a good sign to see them, see them using Takeshita to like reinvigorate the storylines in the company. Yeah, and one note from the match, I agree with you for sure that like this Takeshita fresh doing something new for him, being a heel, all of this, like even if it is like weirdly subservient to the AEW storyline is like it's unique and interesting and it's something that's like exciting to see where they could go with it and teaming up with Sasaki is interesting, like you said, because they have that history but with rivals where it does look so weird but who knows where they go. Um, with Sasaki too, it can also just go up and smoke instantly because that's kind of how it is with him. Nothing ever, things can either be like forever or they can be like, you know, just the flash in the pan, nothing thing with his stories. Um, one note from the physicality of the match that was like just kind of crazy was at one point Takeshita catches UNO out of the air into like a position, kind of like it looks like he's maybe going to adjust his head into an air raid crash and then just with almost no effort spins a man hanging by his ankles off of his back to his front to go for the, uh, the bastard driver or whatever that he calls it when he does it. Um, that was just fucking like, again, the freaky strength of this guy. Cause you just imagine you got somebody on your back like that and you just spin them around seamlessly with like from the front to the back that way or from the back to the front that way. It's just, it's kind of crazy to be doing with a, a full grown person. Um, so yeah, that was just, that was pretty nuts. Again, it just speaks to like, uh, you might or to catch it as size and uh, and power that he has. Um, I want to play a game real quick. This is random, okay. but it's just like maybe go down this rabbit hole because I feel like how did I wind up on this on this cage match page? I don't know, but we're gonna end up again with the thing where it's like Canon is is the f- person who's holding some title that's from like the seventies. Okay. That was. Uh, all right. All right. So as long as Sugar Hero Irie's uh, uh matches page, right? Okay. And, this made me wonder, and I want to see if we can get this right. 
Who is the current WXW Unified World Champion? Oh, he had the title, but he, he lost it. And oh my god, I knew I remember I heard this because, and I was like, this is that is so fucking stupid, and I can't remember. Ah, um, um, it's not Dreisker, Robert Dreisker. Um, god damn, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to remember. I'm not gonna be able to remember this. Who is it? It is Robert Dreisker. <laughs> okay, okay, yes. I thought for some reason I thought it was him, but then I was like, no, it's not. Okay. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you. Yeah, you were correct. It, <sighs> it, it, it is Robert Dreisker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, what? Apparently, it's... Ava Everett is a three-time WXW Women's Champ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she goes over there a bunch now. I guess. But like three times. <laughs> I know. I know. Especially because you remember when like there was the first women's champion was like relatively recently. Yeah, that's what, like the first. She's won it three title. times. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> they're okay. just shotgunning that title back and forth now. I guess. Okay, speaking of that, who's the shotgun champion? Oh, oh God, there's no way the rotation or something crazy like that. I, no <laughs> I don't think he's. I don't think he still wrestles. I think he just wrestled recently. All right, who who's is it? A, uh, Lawrence Roman. I don't even know who that is. Hey, you've seen Lawrence Roman? He was on Ambition before. All right, all right. I guess I th- I'm, pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure he wrestled David Starr. On one, on, okay. on, yeah, there was like a just... like super like crazy like. Like German suplex knockout thing that they did. Oh him. yes, yes, I remember this guy. I just don't remember his name. Okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, so like looking at the rest, of, looking at the rest of the show, like watch the show. But you, but like I'm looking at the rest of it, and it's like not really sure like what is super interesting or like worth sure, sure. talking about. Um, okay, I'll do this. Canon. Well, Kanan, I don't still, still yeah. know what to do with him. Uh, how are you feeling about him, like at this stage in things? Like, do you feel like they should be pushing him harder? Do you feel like he's about he's he's about where he should be? Like, how are you feeling about Kanan uh, right now? With the current storyline, I think he's right where he should be. Um, okay. I think that he's obviously it's clear that they obviously take him seriously. Um, this like in the tag team match, he almost feels like he single handedly won the tag team titles. Uh, like, yeah, Minora Fuji- Fujita was there, but uh, not uh, you know really not like a big part of the match. Um, just a couple key spots. Um, but you got Oishi and Hino kind of who have been presented pretty strong, and you've got Kanan like right there with them the whole way through. So yeah, I would say he's right where he needs to be because. The top of the card is busy with all the stuff we were just talking about with Chris Brooks. And then right underneath that, you got the stuff with Ueno and Takeshita, which includes that, like, in the post-match promo, Ueno says, like, I'm going to fight you again to Takeshita, but I'll be the champion and you'll be the challenger. So you've already, you're already building clearly the next kind of title program, even after Brooks or whatever, you're implying something there. So it's already crowded at the very top. So Kanan having the tag team titles um, as a, really as a focus on him, as a single star, um, I think is a solid is a good spot for him to be in. I don't think he needs to be pushed any harder, but I do definitely still think that like they should be banking on him as a future top guy because it still shows he's got tons of charisma, phenomenal wrestler, looks great. Like yeah, I just think he's he's really good, but he's in the right spot where he should be for now. Okay, uh, you 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 can stop you can stop me whenever you feel like I'm skipping over something that you want to talk about. Uh, sure, sure. I don't have much to say on like 
the scramble bunkhouse six 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 man tag thing. I thought the, I thought it was right. I thought it was I thought it was interesting to see like Onita, Yoshitatsu, Oki, Akiyama, and Takagi all in the same match. Like it's like yeah. really, it's, like it's like just a weird wacky thing. But otherwise, like I don't really have like a ton to say about it. This is my first time seeing Yankee like Yankee Tukenji in a long time. Like I haven't watched Asami Kadaka or Yuko Miyamoto in a while. Right. So I thought like, that was so crazy. I was like, because I saw like, oh, it's, it's I saw on the on the dramatic DDT page they referred to it as like a a triple six team, you know the trio. And then I saw that it was Yankee Tukenjo with Ram, and I was like, what the fuck? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird to call Yankee Tukenjo and Ram like a a team straight out of triple six is what it said. What the hell? Okay, all right. Yeah, I was say that's weird. Okay, but yeah, that 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 was that was cool. I did I did I did I did enjoy that match. I always enjoy um, whenever Yukio gets to interact with those guys. Like I always feel like he like he's had like pretty good chemistry over the, with them over the years. Whenever they've interacted in tags and stuff like that, so that was good. Um, Yuki, yeah, Yukio is a weird guy because he feels. A lot of times, I feel like he would totally fit right in in like a scuzzy six 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 kind of. That's, setting, I feel like really I feel like there. that's what he. I feel like that's what he is, but like he yeah. just stays in DDT. Yeah, he. I mean, I get it, I guess, because maybe he's not really interested in taking outside dates, but he feels like like scuzzy bar shows would be like his fucking bread and butter. He would fit in so well there. But Absolutely, just doesn't like, do him. Like again, like uh, uh, man, this he really should. He really should be one of those guys. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um. um I think here, um, Harata and Doi. What did you what, did you did you have any did you have any thoughts any thoughts on this? And do, I liked the 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 gimmick was pretty funny. Um, like, and I thought that it worked for what they were doing. Doi, you know, Doi can always pull this stuff off, and sometimes you forget it because like he's trying to be a serious wrestler or whatever. But I thought that I thought that they executed this gimmick really well, and it was actually pretty funny. I think so. I think so too. It's just funny whenever I see Doi in DDT. And I'm like, yeah, he never like he didn't leave Dragon Gate, but like he just like they definitely like de-emphasized him a lot since uh since since being since being freelance. And it's just funny to watch him. I was like, man, like, why don't you just go do Dragon Gate as a regular now? It's like okay, yeah. like go and fuck around with Harada, which is cool. That's fine. I'm not even mad at that. It's just like when I see what he's doing in ddt and other places it's like you just gonna stay in dragon gate for all this man but it's all right it's okay <laughs> yeah well it's almost like dragon gate is t- too serious for this <laughs> you know exactly, i mean exactly. really but th- i mean why why does he want to do this i mean whatever though it's, it is again i liked it as a comedy match i thought that they executed this really well it's, just, it's a weird gimmick but they did it really well so you know whatever for that it's fine, but yeah, it is. It does feel like almost a waste of Doi at this point in his career. But whatever, because he's still good. That's the thing. It's like yeah. he's still good. But I mean, what does he really have left to do in in Dragon Gate? You know? Oh yeah, of course, of course. Like that's the thing is like it's not like he's like he's missing out on like all this like potential stuff to do because he's accomplished and done everything. It's like Doi's still a good wrestler. So it's like, man, like part of me is like I want because isn't DDT he doesn't really get to do a lot. So no. I would love to see him be like a Brooks challenger. Like that'll be that'll be really cool to me. I think that him and Brooks could have a really good match. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh Akito versus Yuki Ino. I thought that this was like very, very, very fun. Uh yeah. I agree. Go ahead. 
Oh no, yeah, go ahead. So like, I, I would, I would just like, I was just really happy with this match. I know that like, I'm not gonna say it's great or anything, but I really loved get like just watching these two work together. I thought this was good, but uh, yeah, what, what else? I what agree. Else I agree. I thought that yeah, it was like perfect. The the storyline here, like you know, reading the thing like that. Akito after the match because this match was supposed to be like the end of pheromones if, if Akito won and he does but after the match he because he kind of ended up doing the pheromones stick he's kind of like okay maybe there's something here we can make this work but you guys are on probation which is just very funny um and yeah Akito doing the pheromones you know stick better than they ever did I thought was super fun um and uh and yeah like I you know I've I had a strong like skip pheromones rule for a while there but i actually watched this and i thought that they this was done pretty good maybe part of why i enjoyed it too is because there's a big chunk in the middle that's censored out um did you intentionally skip that the trios tag match there uh yeah i didn't really have much to say about it but if you want to sure. go back to it go ahead. no no agreed i don't i'm with you um okay. yeah and then obviously the opening is is what it is right what's there really to say um other than like, it just feels weird that Takanashi, because his tag team partner, his longtime tag team partner, is the champion. He doesn't really have anything to do, so they throw him in like an opening comedy Honda six man with the fucking rookies. Just seems wrong to me because of how talented he really is. But whatever, it is what it is. Um, I guess before we get out of here, it's like with DDT, like we know that DDT at its best has the ceiling to be like the best wrestling company in the world. We know like what DDT's ceiling is be, but what do what DDT ceiling can be in terms of like talent, booking, execution, like we know how good DDT can be like at its best. So like what do you think that like what, what would you like to see like going forward like done with DDT? Do you feel like it's a matter of like uh, who hold of uh, who's holding the belts? Do you feel like there's just like been like not really like a ton of emphasis on like creating interesting storylines? Like in, DD, in DDT, like for as great as it as it can be, you can just fuck around sometimes and not really like have much yeah. that they're like really like trying to accomplish or do, and they can they're fine occupying their space. But like, what is there anything that you would like to see DDT like change for the rest of the year going forward to like get back to like the peaks and stuff that we've seen from them in the past? It's tough because, you know, we just talked about it and there's two, there's like two comedy matches on this show that we both said that we enjoyed, really. We both like actually thought that they were really solid for comedy matches, but they also both had one wrestler in it for sure that like if they were just a serious full-time wrestler would probably end up in our like top 50 lists perennially um, just with how talented they are, but they don't really, they end up doing comedy matches and stuff like this in DDT. And it is hard to argue with that because, you know, I've I've described it in the past, but the thing about DDT is basically they've got like five slots for serious good wrestlers and then everybody else has to do this kind of stuff. Um, and I don't the thing is, is that I don't really want to say, oh, what should they do to fix it is to, to to stop doing that because that's what makes DDT DDT. What they need is is focus. And I think that a big part of it is Takeshita, the Takeshita thing. Um, with like that he was the focus for so long at the top of the division and you kind of knew what you had and I think that him leaving kind of and then coming back and forth and then finally announcing for sure that he's gone um, they had clearly they had an idea of what they were going to do next which was going to be Endo and that just completely flopped 
um, you know, obviously with with the Nakajima thing um, and everything else. But then they had they wrote the ship after that with Higuchi and it felt like, okay, this is going to be it. And then they kind of just didn't go with it when they probably should have. And that really feels like that's the, the thing. So all they really need is just a stabilizing force of some kind to be like, you know, this is the focus of the serious wrestling and talked about it could it, i feel like it could be chris brooks but they're just not doing it and they just need to they just need to follow through on that part at least and then everything else is kind of like fine and where it should be i mean i i don't have a ton of complaints and you've got you've got not just and because you you have you know Takeshita in the role that he's in you actually are kind of better off than they have been in the past because they're able they could have a top guy, a champion storyline, and they could have an underneath storyline with the Takeshita thing that's just as interesting and as exciting. Um, and it doesn't have to be the championship, but they're kind of are, are wasting the fact that they, you know, are not really taking that advantage that they could. And that's about it. They just need to like focus and actually book. And they've got, they've even got tons of underneath young guys who have potential. I mean, we skipped the trios match, but you got a couple of young guys in there who could definitely do or be something eventually. Um, just a couple, you know, a little bit down the line. Once they get there, you've got the opening match. I, you know, I talked about oh, yeah, Takanashi like, feeling yeah. wasted in there, like, but I'll, you've got rookies in there. Go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah, I enjoy to, uh, Toy Kojima and like Yu Yu Kuroko, uh, uh, Kuroku. Like I, I, I enjoy, I enjoy those guys. Like yeah. So like even in terms of like those guys like that who are like near like the beginning of the cards and stuff like that, still stuck in tags. Like DDT still producing like really good homegrown guys for sure. Yeah. So it's just like. There's not, re- they don't really need to fix anything. They just, they need, I guess the only thing they really need to do is just like focus, ha- let Chris Brooks be the focus. Like that feels like that's it. It feels like, like he needs to be, they need to let him be the focus of the company. They had, Hino was kind of a, was really clearly meant to be a transitional champion. Um, and he maybe held the title too long for the transition. And they kind of just, the title picture was kind of bland and boring and just didn't exist. And I just think that you need that top of the card you know, stability to make it feel like, you know, there's that there's at least that that you can count on. And then everything else is solid for what it is. And they just need to, they just need to run with Chris Brooks right now, because again, like talked it, we've both talked it over. Like, I think he can deliver in this role. They just need to let him do it. And that's really it. Like they just need to let this title reign be what it needs to be for the rest of the year. And then hopefully, I mean, on paper to me, it looks like, okay, what, what makes sense to build here? Cause you had the transitional champion with Hino is that like, you know, you're saving guilt going back to Higuchi and Brooks, who's already had a great match against each other. So get back there and build to that as like your focus. And I think you can easily do that. So, uh, or, yeah. Just... yeah or, or like revisiting, like, you know, you know, you know, still hasn't held the belt. So like, re- like revisiting, you know, with this stuff, like there's, there's options sure. here. It just really depends on like the pace in which they want to like do all this stuff. Right. Yeah, that's true. They they Yeah. Just basically kind of need to just kind of need to get there and do it. <laughs> and and I think that's it. And just like, yeah, focus. And, and again, you know, it's ever since Takeshita kind of stopped being full-time, it really does feel like they're not willing to have that person who's the focus at the top. I guess, again, maybe it was supposed to be Endo and that failed and they just haven't, they haven't been willing to just like stick with someone. And that's, I think that's the biggest issue because at its best, that's what DDT needs is like someone at the top who's just clearly the guy um, and they just don't have it right now. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting there thinking and wondering like what like what 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 it would be, but I think you're totally right. Like that's actually like the thing here, just having that stabilizing force. And like we think that's Higuchi, but like they have to believe that 
and go and go with that as well. Um, I am curious to like you know when 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 D King winds up happening, like if that'll be more of the indicator of like okay, will they go with like Higuchi or Ueno or or one of those guys winning it and kind of like reinforce like re like reinforcing like them as a stabilizing force in the company or something like that? Will it be like another? Will it be like an endo victory? Who knows? But I feel like like D King this year. Like not that D King is like never like never interesting as been interesting in the past. I feel like this is a very telling one of who is like that guy in DDT now. Will it be like a a roster led by committee? You know, like when a, when a, when an NFL roster doesn't have like one great running back, and instead they have like two, sometimes even three running backs that they can lean on and put in for different plays and formations and like in yardage situations, like. Is this going to be a thing like that where it's going to be a combination of Higuchi, Ueno, Mal, Brooks, Endo, and it's going to be something like that? Or are we going to see like someone kind of like emerge as the guy in, in, in the company right now in a time in which like Takeshi has moved on? So what is that lead? are they going to do? So I think that DKing this year is going to be like a very, very interesting tournament from that perspective. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they can. I mean, I know that they can survive, but I don't know that they'll. It'll be fulfilling if they do the committee thing. But I could definitely see them trying it, like you said. I just, I think it's really difficult to pull that off. That's all that I've got when, in, in regards yeah. to this DDT uh, show. If you had anything else that you've like watched recently that you wanted to touch on before we got out of here, any more? thoughts or anything else but other than that i think we're good to go no no i think that's uh that'll be it for me okay uh i think that's it for me as well we'll come back and like like the ddt show was good like i don't want to make it sound like it wasn't good but like we also we've watched enough ddt over the years to like know how like these ddt shows work so it's like really like kind of like breaking down like the main event scene and like where we feel like things are heading, but like it's a still a really, really good company, but like great talent rising that still hasn't gotten like all the most chances in the world yet. So like, I still like DDT and I just hopefully like they get back to like a even better place than they have been. But you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at R Witch Dutch. I almost said Bone Dog's wife. I stopped myself at R Witch Dutch. And you can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN. If you're feeling that so kind to you, can donate to us on coffee. And I don't know. I have a kid. I have a kid at the school I work at that uh, wears a, a hat all the time that says conductor because he's obsessed with trains and buses. So if we can just buy him a train, like an actual real train, then that'd be great. So we can just fund him. Uh, Fund him, fund him getting a train. Do people, do people have to go to school to become train drivers or train conductors? Like, how do you, like, what's the process for that? I, I mean, I'm sure that you have to go to some kind of training, but I don't know what that, how, what that extends to. There's got to be something. You can't just yeah, do would, it. Yeah, I would love to know how people like become drivers of trains, <laughs> but if anyone knows the process of how to become a train conductor, like, please, uh, at me, <laughs> let me know how people become train drivers. Uh, Thank you all for listening and hope you're here next time. My darling, my lover, how I love you, how I miss you, but my son, it loves me better than you.
But my loneliness fucks me better than you do.